This episode is dedicated to Joanne McCallum, mother of Dr. Carmen McCallum and Christina Christian. Our condolences go out to the friends and family who she touched. Be well. Much love. Welcome to the Dripping in Black podcast, where we celebrate black excellence throughout the black diaspora. Here's your host, David V. Lewis. What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I am your host, David V. Lewis. And per usual, we have another fantastic guest who represents black excellence. Today's guest is Dr. Carmen McCollum. Dr. McCollum, say hello to the world. Hello, world. <laughs> All right. And so we're going to jump into um, your realm of excellence in a minute. But we like to start off our podcast by asking our guests, who are they? So who is Carmen McCollum? Good question. Uh, I appreciate the question because I often tell people I am uh, not what I do, right? So I'm not an associate professor. I am a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a wife. I am a friend. I am a daughter of a uh, father who came from Belize. So I consider wow. myself to be a first generation uh, person here. My mother is from Florida. Um and I always say those things because that's what's important to me. That's how I want to be remembered. Like I, I do work really hard and I believe in my work, but when I am, you know, gone, I don't want people to say she was a really good worker. Yeah. I want them to say she's a really good friend. So that's yeah. who I am. Yeah. So a father from Belize and a mom from Florida. How has that shaped you? Um, in a lot of ways, um, because my father's culture had a big impact on my family. And what's really interesting is uh, my families are into mesh. So if you want to hear the story, I, I tell it all the time because I think it's a great story. So my father's older brother and my mother's older sister got married. My father's older brother came from Belize, my mother's older sister from Florida. Mm-hmm. They moved to Michigan And my father's brother wanted to bring all his siblings over because they were impoverished in Belize. And so they all kind of lived in the same house. And it was about 12 or 14 of them in a small house in Inkster, right? So people were coming in and out, uh, but they were in Inkster. And then my mother's sister was bringing her siblings up from Florida. And it was about 10 of them. And so they were, you know, as people got older, they would come in and out. And so my mother and father grew up in the same house off and on from the age of 12. 12 and 14. And so, you know, I don't know when, you know, that, that, (laughs) that, that relationship turned into a budding romance, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they ended up getting married. And so both sides of my family were really close. And so I grew up in this family environment that was just full of love um, from both sides of my family. And so I I would say that that really shaped who I am and how I um, view the world. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a, we could stop right now. <laughs> that's, that's quite the story there. Um, and so uh, you happen to know the producer of our podcast, Sean Smith, pretty well. And me and Sean met your sister who worked at Inkster High School. All right. And, and so that's kind of how we got you onto the podcast. But let's talk about you. You said you are an associate professor at Eastern Michigan University. What is that? 
Yes. So um, I'm an associate professor, which means I teach college students and I actually teach in a graduate program. And so a lot of times when people think of education, they think of K through 12. Right. But I teach student affairs professionals. So when you think about a college environment and anybody who's not a professional, those are the individuals who come through our program. So those who work in housing, your Mm -hmm. academic advising, um, financial aid, um, your VP of students, uh, the dean of students, those type of individuals come through our program as a master's program. And then we also have a PhD program in educational leadership. And in that program, we have students who are on K-12 as well as higher education who are inspiring to be educational leaders. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how does a child with the parents from Belize in Florida uh, grow up at Inkster? How do you end up with a doctorate degree in teaching at Eastern Michigan? <laughs> you know, it's the question of the hour, right? It's a <laughs> It's a question that I often had of myself. And so that's one of the reasons I decided to pursue a PhD because I wanted to understand my story. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a very fascinating story, I think, again. So when I was growing up, I stayed in, I lived in Inkster all of my life. And right before I got ready to, to go to school, they restructured the district. So we were supposed to go to Cherry Hill School District for all those who are a little bit older than me, you know about Cherry Hill School District. And so they drew a line literally down the middle of my street. So half the people across the street went to Inkster High. The people on my side of the street went to Wayne Westland Schools. And so the the strange part about that is, you know, at the time, Wayne Westland Schools were just a little bit more resourced than Inkster. And so I went in and was able to have, I think, a quality education, not that Inkster didn't, but it was just a different education. Folks talked to me about going into college all the time. I was in this different environment trying to find my way. And I really, and and being one of few Black students there, like it was very obvious that we were the onlys. And so we kind of stuck together. And so I think being there, being in that environment, feeling that you always had to prove yourself and continue to prove yourself, um, was why I just kept continue continue to go to school, right? So I wanted to, you know, when I went to the University of Michigan, I'm a Wolverine, go blue. Go blue. So <laughs> it wasn't, um, I didn't have the same experience as my fellow colleagues did yeah. who came from Detroit because yeah. they were coming from an all black school coming into this all white environment. I already knew the all white environment and knew how yeah. to, you know, basically code switch when I needed to. Yeah. And so I just kept continually pushing myself and wanting to move forward. And I did not have a goal at being a PhD or being a doctor. After every single degree, I said, this is the last one. I'm not going back to school. That was too much work. It's time for me to live my life. And then I would get in an environment and say, well, this is not enough for me. So Mm -hmm. I went back and got my master's in social work. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I focused in on community practice and I did that for a while. And I said, I'm never going back to school. And then I got in an environment where I felt I wasn't learning. And I wanted to also learn more about myself. Like you said, like, why am I making these educational strides when my friends, and this is not everybody, but my friends across the street are not. Like, what's different about my environment? We both grew up in two parents' households. We both had um, parents who worked for the big three. You know, we both had the same advantages, but our lives were just going in different directions. And because I wanted to understand that, I decided to go back and to get the PhD and, yeah. and in order to understand that, but also to help others behind me. 
Like yeah. every career path that I made, I'm like, how can I help those behind me change the world? You know, and so that's always been my goal. Yeah. So it's a lot there. Um, I'm thinking about this um, this line, right? This line, the device, the block up. You end up at this different school and you get this experience that helps you in the future to deal with what you're dealing with in the future. First question that came to mind, though, was um, when you went off to Michigan, what were you going there for? What was your intention? I was going there because my parents always told me you going to college. And I was like, <laughs> OK, I mean, really, I was a first generation college student, had no idea what I was doing. Wow. My best friend said, I'm going to U of M. You should come with me. I was like, OK. And I applied and I got into like the summer bridge program. Thank God, because mm. I, Lord knows where I would be if that didn't happen. And then kind of spent my time there trying to figure it out, got a, P, a bachelor's degree in sociology, graduated and was like, OK, there's no jobs in the newspaper that say sociology. So what the heck am I supposed to do? Right. So even though I went through those four years, I still didn't necessarily figure it out. Wow. So I was still coming out of there figuring out. And so that's one thing I really teach, you know, undergraduate students is why you are here take this time to try to figure it out. Like nobody told me do an internship. No one told me study abroad. No one told me there's money for you to study abroad, right? Yeah. Like I was just there because my parents told me to go there. I was having fun, partying with my girls, you yeah. know, and then graduated like, holy crap, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> and so, you know, I just, you know, once I graduated, you know, I was still in the process of figuring it out. Yeah. So, uh, so another thing that's kind of jumping around in my head is it's kind of in vogue now to talk down on the four-year degree, right? It's an in vogue thing. Entrepreneurship is something that's in vogue, right? Um, what would you say about this this conversation? You know, and I, I know there's some good parts to being an entrepreneur, but you know, I want to want the pendulum to swing a little bit back to four year colleges. I know it comes with a lot of times with student debt, but what, what would you say about that conversation? OK, so when we think about the four year degree and, you know, the four year degree is not for everyone. I would never say that everyone needs to go to college. Right. Like the trades are booming there. You can make a lucrative career out of that. But there's something about the college experience that just makes turns us into global citizens. Like I always tell people I didn't go to college or I went to college. But I, what I learned in college wasn't in the classroom. It was outside of the classroom. It was in the study lounge. It was in the hall. Yeah. It was meeting people that didn't look like me yeah. because I I grew up in a very black and white environment. And, yeah. you know, I was talking about my family being from Belize, but there was no Latin X at that time. It was black or white. And my aunt was like, you know, when I talked to her about it, she said, we had to pick a side if it was going down, yeah. what side was we going to be on? Right. So I didn't really have that experience, although we, we, uh, you know, appreciated the culture and their cultural things, but I didn't really know what it meant to be Latinx. I didn't know what it meant yeah. to be a Muslim. Right. And so I was able to experience all of that and, and bring all of those perspectives, you know, walking down the street. And I also grew up in college, right? I learned how yeah. to be an adult, right? You know, I learned why my mother told me not to wash one thing in a washing machine, right? Because I'm gonna run out of coins in, in, in a dorm room, right? And so yeah. all of those different things really bring about a global person, someone who can appreciate the art, someone who can appreciate reading, someone who can be a critical thinker, right? Like yeah. I remember being in school 
and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I was like a freshman and being in class and they said, you know, you really have to question what you see on the news. Yeah. And I was like, wait, ain't the news the facts? Because right. it's the news. And then they yeah. were like, no, it's not. It's someone's perspective, right? Yeah. And then if you don't go to school or have someone break that down for you, you would never know, which is why I think a lot of Americans right now are just sometimes uninformed yeah. because they don't know those things, right? And so I really think, you know, the four-year um, degree is really important to get to go. And not just, you know, I love community college. I think that's a great path for some individual it can be financially um responsible but yeah. being in a four-year institution going away from home like being your own person yeah. i think is really really important yeah yeah such valuable lessons that you learn like you said outside of the classroom that carry um carry you regardless of what you end up doing as a professional right mm-hmm. all right so let's talk a little bit more about you you are also an author uh you have a book Inclusive Supervision in Student Affairs, a Model for Professional Practice. Yes. All right, let's dive into that. What is this book about? <laughs> so really, it's, it's about supervision. And so in the fields of student affairs, there's not a lot of conversation about supervision. And again, you know, I teach student affairs practitioners who are coming out of a master's degree program. And a lot of times they're going right into those roles where they are becoming supervisors. But there's mm. really no one to show you how to be a supervisor. Uh, most programs don't have a class on it. So you either have had a good supervisory experience and you decide to mimic that, mm. or you have a bad supervisory experience and you mimic that, or you mm. decide to go the opposite way. Yeah. And so what we did was we really studied what does it mean to be a good supervisor from a multiculturally competent perspective. So the way that we came about our data is that we we didn't actually ask supervisors. We asked supervisees okay. to talk to us about the supervisors they believed were multiculturally competent and also that they felt were really good supervisors. And so we were able to do qualitative interviews. We talked to people. We got the data. Yeah. We put them into themes. And then we did. Uh, we um, made action items, put that into a survey, and then sent that out, did some factor analysis and end up coming up with our model. And so now we're at the point where we're talking to supervisors and what we're finding is exactly what we found from these supervisees is what supervisors are doing, right? They're paying attention to the cultural aspects of their supervisees. Mm -hmm. They're being vulnerable, right? A lot of times people think of vulnerability as a weakness, yeah. But Brene Brown talks about it as a strength. And the, so these supervisors also talk about it as a strength, like being able to say, you know, what, I may not know as much on this topic as you do. You take the lead on this particular team. Right. So bringing all of those um, aspects of an individual together and being really just um knowledgeable and informed about who you're working with like we are human beings like we are not just a financial aid officer we are not just an academic advisor like I said when you ask me who I am I'm a wife I'm a sister I'm a friend I bring all I'm a black woman you know (laughs) let's talk about that I'm walking around in a world where people are constantly telling me I'm not supposed to be here and so I'm bringing all of that into this space and for you to ignore that you know it's not going to work in a professional environment. So really that's what the book is truly, truly about. Yeah. Uh, such a important work that has to be done. Um, you know, you think about people that are in these positions of supervision and, you know, we're in a, we're in a, a day and age where it's about us growing as a people and understanding differences 
right? And uh, this is an important work for people to really understand um, diversity and how to, Sean don't like the word diversity, but the differences <laughs> that people have and really how to acknowledge those in a way that's that's uh, good for everybody involved, right? So mm-hmm. very important work. So I got a few more questions. You mentioned being a Black woman. You also mentioned that you matriculated through U of M. Go Blue. Go Blue. <laughs> what were some challenges you faced? Well, it was really, really interesting. Like, I, I just feel like when I started talking about these stories, because I was admitted into the Comprehensive Studies Program, which is still exists at U of M, and I'm very circular, so I actually went back and worked there as an academic advisor, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. So I was admitted into this program that's supposed to help individuals like me, first-generation college students. You know, I had a very high GPA, low ACT scores or whatever, to matriculate through the University of Michigan. But when I got there, the person who was assigned to me as my academic advisor was ill. And so, and he, but he didn't want to leave his position. And so I feel like I was one of those people who actually fell through the cracks. Like I was, I I didn't really get the support and mentoring that I think that I should have as a first generation college student again, because I graduated not really knowing what I was supposed to do. So academically, I didn't necessarily get um the guidance that I wish that I would have and mm-hmm. the guidance that I provide my students uh to this day. Um you know the challenges there was a lot of discrimination there was a lot of racism there. Yeah. You know because I was a comprehensive study student people automatically thought that I was dumb or didn't deserve mm-hmm. to be there. Yeah. Um, this is around the time of conversations of affirmative action. Yeah. Um and so it, it was a very challenging time um you know to be there. But the black students, because again, there weren't that many of us, you know, we stick together and we made it work. And so there's something to say about, um, of course, we need more of us in the space, but there's something to say about when there's not that many, because it kind of forces you to say, look, you know, I have your back, you have mine. You see a black person walking towards you, you give them a head nod, they give you, you know what that means, right? But if you have 200 black people, you can't just keep nodding your head all day, right? So it's just a different feel. Yeah. Um, And so I would say, you know, when when I think about challenges, I think that those were the challenges. And then academically too, you know, even though I came again from Wayne Western schools, felt that I was really educated, felt that, you know, I, I did very well there you know, the school was kicking my butt. Like yeah. I, I didn't learn how to study yeah. because I just did the work when I was in high school. So coming into college and trying, how do you study? I mean, I would sit down for hours and I would, <laughs> I don't think I learned anything. Yeah. And so trying to figure out how do you study, finding out your path. You know, I went to college thinking I was going to be a doctor, not PhD, MD. Mm-hmm. Because that's all I knew. I had bad handwriting. So I figured, hey, this will work. <laughs> no, you need to know biology and chemistry and all of that, that other part. statistics. Right. I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this. And so, you know, figuring all that out and, and figuring out what pathway yeah. to find, you know, all of that was really challenging. Yeah. So, man, I'm if, I, if I'm a young lady that's an inkster and I hear this story. I'm almost afraid of going to Michigan. So (laughs) what would you tell somebody who's considering, um, say they're in middle school going into high school and they want to go to Michigan for a degree and they're a young black female? What what would be some advice you would give them? 
I would say anyone who's a young black female who wants to go to the University of Michigan, um, you have to find your community. And okay. so you have to consciously go there and know that you're going to find your uh, find a community. Look for people who have the same ideology as you look for the same people that look like you, mm-hmm. who have your experiences and make that your circle, right? Um, the comprehensive studies program is still there. I, like I said, I, you know, I may have not gotten everything I needed, but that is a phenomenal program. They help yeah. you with everything from where to live to how to study to free tutoring, all of that stuff. And so I would say you definitely can make it, but it's such a big school and it's so easy to fall through the cracks. So you have to find your community. That's what I would say. Okay. All right. So I got a couple of more things before we get to the main question. Uh, the next thing is what's, what's next on the horizon for you? Oh my goodness. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) I am still figuring it out. Um, I am a person that follows opportunities and when opportunities knock, I take advantage of it. So I would have never thought I would be a professor of higher education, right? You Mm -hmm. know, I went from being an MD, I went to nursing at (laughs) U of M for one semester, (laughs) got admitted as a second degree student, went right into clinicals and then figured out I did not want to touch people. Yeah. (laughs) And I would cry to my mother and she said, what the hell did you think you were going to be doing? I said, well, I'm going to be an anesthesiologist. I just want to give people medicine. Mm. You know, she's like, oh, you have to go through all of this before you get there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, so I scratched it off the list. Mm. Um, And so and then I went to social work. I thought I was going to be a social worker, you know, work in the field that, you know, I decided that was for me. I love higher education. Yep. I love teaching higher education. I love the look in young people's eyes when yeah. they realize that they can make it, that they yeah. can earn a degree or an older student eyes, right? So figuring out, you know, I, I never thought I can go to school, but now there's a pathway for me. There's a, yeah. I can do it a different way. And yeah. so I, I feel like I will always stay in higher education to some extent, yeah. but what the next step is, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's the thing about teaching, right? It's such a rewarding job when you pour into other people and then it opens something up in them, the opportunities that maybe they hadn't thought about before. Um, that's probably the best part about being an educator, right? It's opening up folks' minds to the potential and possibilities, right? Absolutely. All right. So I kind of asked this question, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. All right. Knowing what you know now, PhD, uh, Dr. McCullum, <laughs> if you could go back and give some advice to the younger Dr. McCullum, who's just starting out at Michigan Go Blue, what would be mm-hmm. some advice you would give her? So interesting thing, I went to college with two of my best friends since elementary school. Like we all went to U of M together. And I think that that pack, although it was exciting and rewarding it didn't allow me to branch out like at some point they you know we call ourselves cnk right and at some point they're just like oh they go cnk they go like i didn't even have my own identity Mm -hmm. and my sister Mm -hmm. who went to michigan state by herself Mm -hmm. i noticed that she actually has friends from michigan state Mm -hmm. that became a part of her life like i didn't really need to build that much of a relationship with others because I had my friends. And so I think I would tell a younger me to branch out more, to take advantage of opportunities, um, to know that I I need to search for opportunities, that someone is not going to knock on my 
dorm room door and say, Carmen, do this, that I needed to be more proactive. And then um, that would help, hopefully, my path. But at the same time, my path is not a bad, bad path. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I have this very, and, and it's really interesting because a lot of my friends who are professors, um, I always say, like, I, we just admire you so much because you, like, I have a work hard, play hard mentality. Like, yeah. I may work hard, but I damn sure <laughs> am going to play hard, right? And so I've always had this balance in my life. And I think that's because of the family that I was brought up in. Mm. And also, I'm very religious. Like, I, you know, God has blessed me in so many ways. Yeah. And so even when I would be going through my roughest days in my PhD program, I would go to church on Sunday and somebody would talk about they just, you know, got over cancer. And I'm like, I'm worried about a paper. Right. Yeah. And this person is worried about cancer. Yeah. Right. It just always put everything in perspective. And yeah. so when you have a strong family, when you have a religious background, I think that kind of shapes your path. And if you don't have a strong blood family, create a create a strong family. You know, I yeah. have a friend, you know, she created a family of friends that support her in every single way because she didn't come from a two-parent household where everything was, you know, as my, you know, flowers and balloons or whatever. Yeah. So you create that for yourself. So yeah. I would, a long way to say, you know, I would tell the younger me to take advantage of more opportunities, but if she doesn't, she's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Great advice. Um, I like that question because it's you kind of reflecting on your own, but again, to inspire others and, and that may be in that seat at this moment, if they see this uh, interview on, on some advice that they could use. So thank you for that. So let's get to the most important question that we ask. We ask all of our guests the same question. I kind of got an idea where this one is headed for you, but I'll ask it anyway. Have you ever been on the cover of a magazine? Yes, I have. <laughs> All right. Um, and I found it the other day. It's not a big magazine, but it was the University of Michigan School of Education magazine. Oh. And I was the black prop. Oh. Right? So it was a white person, an Asian person, a black person. <laughs> oh, we're going to need so that. <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily because it was about me. Yeah. But I was a, you know, I was the black, I felt like I was the black prop. So I would say, yes, I've been on a cover of a magazine uh, in that, in that regard. All right. Okay. So that's one. Have you been on any others? Uh, I would say no. Okay. So I, I was, I was, I was hedging my bet that you had been on the cover somewhere. And so I was right about that. But one of the things that we do for all of our guests is we place them on the cover of the Dripping in Black magazine. So our producer, nice. uh, S Square Sean Smith, is going to show you your dripping in black cover. Ah! <laughs> All right. I love it. I love it. And this one I is di it. different from your U of M one because this one is about you. You're not uh, just a prop on there. All right. So, Absolutely, that's beautiful. That will be. Uh, We're gonna have to get that um, assistant changed to associate boo because I did earn that promotion. So. Uh, oh, we will mock it up and get it right. Uh, that's going to be a party <laughs> gift for you. Uh, we will send it out to you. It's going to be laminated and all that good stuff, and you'll get it at a later date. And that's our thank you for coming out to our podcast. That's amazing. Thank you. I enjoy being here. Yeah, it's totally our pleasure. So we want to thank. Dr. McCullum again for coming out to the Dripping in Black podcast. 
any shout outs that you want to give on the podcast or, or any um, anything that people can reach out to you for, say I'm a, a potential student going to U of M or somebody that wants to get into the program, um, can they reach out to you in any way, social media wise? Um, absolutely. Actually, if you just Google my name, uh, Carmen McCallum, you'll find uh, my information on Eastern Michigan University's website. And that's probably the best way that you can reach me is via email. Okay. Um, I think I would give a shout out to my sister, Christina Christian, because she's a former Inksterite, yes, right? She right. Uh, definitely taught at Inkster High. Right. Um, I would give a shout out to my loving husband, uh, Mark Motley, who supports me in every way. Mm-hmm. And then um, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Rima Reynolds. I don't know if you're familiar with who she is, but she is a phenomenal um, associate faculty member also at Eastern. She teaches on the K-12 side mm-hmm. and she was elected to Michigan State's, um, what's, the, what's the big people? Board of Regents. Yes, yeah, she was elected to the Board of Regents. Okay. So I want to give a shout out to her uh, because she is definitely dripping in Black and we'll be an excellent guest. Uh, oh, we have to make that happen. Yep. Yeah, we'll have to make that happen. But we thank you again for stopping by and uh, maybe we'll ring you up in the future to have you come back on because there's a lot more that we can, can talk about for sure. Sounds good. All right, we're going to ask the audience to stay put as we have one last segment of our podcast called The Last Drip. But our thanks again to Dr. McConnell. Up next... The last drip, but first, a message from Anchor. A dripping in black thanks to Dr. Carmen McCullum for sharing her inspiring story and for the excellent work that she's doing at EMU. However, we have reached the final segment of our podcast called The Last Drip. The Last Drip is the last opportunity for us to squeeze in a bit more of Black excellence for you. In this final segment, we highlight a common thread between our guests and our vast and rich African-American history. For this episode, we highlight the significant history of Mary Henrietta Graham. Mary Graham was born in 1857 in Windsor of Ontario, Canada, and her youth Ontario was a place for which African-Americans moved to escape slavery and even oppression after the U.S. slave system was abolished in 1865. In 1876, Mary graduated high school and in the fall became the first Black woman admitted to the University of Michigan. She would also become the first Black woman to graduate from the University of Michigan, earning her bachelor's in philosophy and literature in 1880. After obtaining her degree, Mary would go on to teach for a few years at Lincoln University in Missouri. In 1882, Mary married attorney and civil rights activist Ferdinand Lee Barnett and moved to Chicago to work for the Chicago Conservator, her husband's newspaper. The Chicago Conservator was historic in its own right because it was the first black newspaper in the city of Chicago. Graham passed away at the young age of 33, but in her short time on this planet, she became the first to break the color line for Black women attending and graduating from U of M. Her accomplishments would eventually pave the way for more Black women to attend and graduate from U of M, including one Dr. Carmen McCollum. And for that, Mary Henrietta Graham is this episode's last drip. For more on Mary Henrietta Graham, check out 
record.umich.edu, heritage.umich.edu, and apps.libumich.edu, and mlive.com. My thanks to all of these websites for the knowledge. The Dripping in Black audio podcast can be found on the most popular podcast platforms, and you can find our video version on the DIBK channel on YouTube. Remember to subscribe, comment, like, share, and to tell a friend to tell a friend. Also, you can like us and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at DIBK20. My thanks to all of our listeners, viewers, supporters, and subscribers. And until next time, be loving, be kind, and be excellent on purpose. It is a choice. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production.